Welcome to the Remote Leadership Podcast. I'm Deborah Dinocenzo, and I'll be your host and guide as we explore new challenges and proven keys to success for leaders and teams who must get results from a distance. For more than two decades, I've helped organizations and leaders successfully go virtual. Now that we're all on a trajectory toward the next normal of work from anywhere and hybrid teams, I'm excited to share with you the insights and expertise that thousands of leaders and teams have acquired through my books, coaching, training, and presentations. Join me to learn tips, techniques, and skills that leaders and teams in your organization can implement now to achieve effectiveness in our evolving remote workplace. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Remote Leadership Podcast. I'm Deborah Dinocenzo, and I look forward once again to the opportunity to share with you some insights. And I am delighted to have with us today my guest, Jason Morwick, who is also the co-author of the book we published recently, Remote Leadership. And so, Jason, welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, always a delight, always enjoy chatting with you, and I look forward to this opportunity to talk. So Jason and I have known each other for probably a decade or so, and uh, when the pandemic arrived, uh, we picked up the phone and said, hey, we probably should write a book, but we had never met. And so we got through the book writing process and publishing process, and uh, proved that you do not have to be in the same place to get anything done, to innovate, or to get results. And we got the book published mid-pandemic and uh, just had the opportunity to meet face-to-face in person uh, a few weeks ago. And so, but this is our usual way of interacting and uh, sharing information with each other. And so, Jason, I'm just thrilled that you're here and I wanted to uh, give you an opportunity to introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit about your background and um, what you're doing now. Thank you, Deborah. As you know, I have been remote working for about 16, 17 years now. I started around 2005, 2006 timeframe. And I made that transition from working in an office five days a week to going fully remote and working for a company that was based in California. And I am based in Orlando, Florida, and I was working out of my house. So the transition that a lot of people had to go through during the pandemic, I made that transition years ago and went through all the same issues that a lot of folks had back then. So from that experience, I started doing consulting and writing, and currently I am the head of remote first for Cactus Communications. Great. So tell us just uh, real briefly about Cactus and how you came to be in the role of head of remote first, and then we'll talk a little bit more about what remote first actually means. Thanks. Cactus Communications supports academics, researchers, and scientists in getting their work published, basically getting science in the hands of regular folks like you and I. The company has about 1,200 employees and a couple thousand freelancers and contractors. But for the regular employees out of those 1,200, it's about 85% based in India. We have a small contingent in the U.S., but we also have offices in Korea, Japan, China, Denmark, and in the U.K., 
So you're dealing with a lot of international issues and challenges. What are, what are the key ones that you're facing? You're relatively new in this position. Um, so what have you found? And was there a remote first person before you, or is this a new initiative for Cactus? This is a new initiative. About six months into the pandemic, our CEO, Abhishek Goal, recognized that remote working was going to be the way of the future, even post-pandemic. So while others were planning how they were going to go back to the office and thinking that the pandemic was going to be over any day now, they had the foresight to think that this was the way of the future. So they implemented several programs and policies, and they created this position for Head of Remote First to help lead them through this transition. Well, I'm sure you are the best person for this job based on all of your experience <laughs> and um, <clears throat> everything that uh, you know we put, pulled together to get the book published as well. So how is it um, different since it, it is an international organization? Uh, how is it uh, different in terms of rolling out uh, remote work around the around the planet? Right, I find that there are kind of layers of challenges. We've talked before about generational challenges, right? How different age groups of workers view remote working differently. But there's also now some cultural differences. For example, for most of our India-based employees, prior to the pandemic, uh, they were mainly in the office five days a week. Uh, only about 15% were working remotely prior to the pandemic. And it's a very social culture where people enjoy being around each other. The company is seen as sort of a social hub of activity. Mm -hmm. So even as the pandemic started to lighten up a little bit and we started allowing workers to go back into the office, we found that the highest day or the day with the highest footfall was Friday. Now, if you think about that from a U.S. perspective, most people work from home on Mondays and Fridays if given right. the choice. And if they have to come into the office, it's usually Tuesday through Thursday. Over in India, it was just the opposite. People wanted to come into the office on Fridays. Why? Well, it's a primarily younger workforce over there, and they are very social. So when they would come to work on Friday, they would go out afterwards, engage oh. in non-work-related <clears throat> activities. So work becomes that central meeting location for a lot of folks. Now, that's very different than U.S.-based workers. We have about 25 people based in the U.S. They've been remote all along. So to them, the pandemic really wasn't much of a change in business for them. And they're very used to uh, remote working. Folks in Europe tend to like the office a little bit more than the U.S. folks. And then when we get over into Asian countries, in China, they come into the office uh, predominantly most of the week. And Japan and Korea is kind of a mix. So every country kind of approaches remote working a little bit differently. Hmm. So in India, it's just the precursor to happy hour. <laughs> it can be sometimes, but yeah. you know, it's a culture where people, uh, they like to meet. Uh, they're very used to meeting synchronously and face to face. Mm -hmm. So how are you all doing meetings? Are you doing them, uh, since you're spread all over the globe, do you need to have meetings with everybody at any point in time? And are, how are you managing communications when you talk about the synchronous versus asynchronous challenge? Yes, we're still having a lot of meetings. In fact, at the beginning of the pandemic, people complained that the number of meetings seemed to increase exponentially. 
And that's because people were used to walking down the hallway, popping their head into someone's office or seeing someone in the line for the cafeteria and saying, hey, Deborah, what do you think about this? Well, now that they were remote, they couldn't do that. So what did they do? They would set up time on people's calendars to get in front of them. And that led to a calendar full of meetings all day long. So we've been trying to combat this uh, over the past several months to work more asynchronously, to really challenge the notion of why you need to meet. Can we use another tool? Unfortunately, that tool became email. So as we yeah. tried to reduce meetings, emails increased exponentially. So we've been looking at other things that we can do, other tools. How do we leverage Teams and Slack more effectively, for example, and get off email, but essentially communicate the same message asynchronously versus having to hold a meeting. Yeah, so it's the virtual bulletin board and how to make that happen for things that exactly. don't need meetings. So, um, <clears throat> so, but Teams is just a kind of another form of meetings, right? Or are you talking about locating documents there and shared other shared things as opposed to yes most people most people think of teams as just you know a way to do video calls or instant messaging but there's a lot more capability in teams uh that you can use to share documents uh you know create a space where people can collaborate uh you know asynchronously and not have to be in real time yeah and um so how are you use, using slack um as a way to to kind of backfill or supplement on communication without synchronous meetings. Yeah, Slack is is not used across the company, but predominantly within certain groups, mainly our mm -hmm. tech teams, and uh, they're using it as a as a way to communicate uh, through instant messaging and uh, and other ways. Yeah. So I'm kind of curious because I'm I'm currently using Slack with my podcast production team. And uh, I'm kind of liking it. I, you know, I get little messages. I'm just, I'm trying to figure out how, how different is that really than an email? Uh, because it, you know, dings and I can see a little reminder. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure. I think we're still all in many, many ways just trying to sort all this out. And, you know, clearly people do want to connect. They want to be together. They want to share. Uh, aside from face-to-face, -face, we still need to communicate um, how best to do that as this evolves is just, um, we're still sorting it out, uh, it seems to me. So if, I don't know if you have I think one, the, one of the challenges is that we have too many tools available, right? Oh. So we look at Teams, we look at Slack. They both aim to accomplish the same thing. Some people have a preference over one tool over another. But then we have a whole host of other emerging tools that are coming out to market I get uh, pinged by vendors almost daily with a new tool wanting me to try something different. And I try to allocate some time just to experimenting with some new tools and technology that comes out just to see where it may fit in. And I think leaders need to actually spend that time. And I think a lot of leaders get overwhelmed and they just say, you know what, forget it. I'm tired of using these tools. I'll just go back to what I know best versus trying something new. And part of my role is to help them in that process to discover things that may work better for them and to encourage them to use it, experiment with it and get, you know, more familiar. Yeah. No, I think you raise a good point because there are so many tools. I mean, almost all of us have email, Zoom. Um, increasingly, I hear people using Slack, Teams um, and, and other video conferencing platforms 
and as well as on top of that, uh, there's more text messaging going on that you know people are getting pinged on their on their phones, uh, and, and using apps on their phones. Um, so it's a it's a lot of stuff to manage. It's what you know what, what we wrote about when we published the book dot com way back when. Um, you know, there's information overload and access overload, all of which leads to work overload. So um, we are probably trying to access people in too many ways, and it does feel it does feel like tech overload. Then, absolutely, I agree. And you said it best when when you said that you know some people feel burnt out because of all this, or it leads to burnout uh, yeah. because we can always connect to our employees, but that doesn't mean we should always use that capability, right? Right. right. And I'm dealing in the company with certain cultures that are very accommodating to others. So they're less likely to say no or decline a meeting. So people working in one time zone will send someone in a different time zone, a meeting request. And let's just say it's, it's way outside their normal core work hours, like rather than push back, right. Early morning <laughs> or late at night. Yeah. And instead of pushing back and saying, no, let's use an alternative means to communicate. They'll just accept the meeting. So we get a little bit of friction that's created by by this and in between teams that could be avoided, but yet people just feel the need that they have to stay connected. Yeah, well, that's been a concern of remote workers for a, a you know, number of years, and I think it's not going to be minimized as we move forward to more remote work and hybrid work. And that is, you know, if I'm if I'm not engaged, if I'm not present, if I say no, or I, they have the meeting and I just don't show up for it because it's two in the morning, or eleven p.m. where I am, then you know, will I appear to be not engaged? Will I be forgotten? Will I get passed over for promotion? Uh, those concerns are still very real on the part of remote workers. It seems to me. You know, it's funny. I had a conversation earlier today about that very subject. I was talking with a manager and she described it as guilt, uh, feelings of guilt, because she has scheduled one-on-one -on -one meetings with her manager. And just about every leader that I've spoken with has some sort of one-on-one -on -one weekly conversation with their manager in real time. And I've challenged that notion. I said, why do you need to have that one-on-one -on -one with your boss? If it's to deliver performance feedback, if it's coaching or mentoring, I absolutely agree that it should be done synchronously face-to-face -face, or at least on video if possible. But in most cases, I would even venture to guess about 80 to 90% of the cases, those one-on-one -on -one meetings are nothing more than updates. Hey, Deborah, what are you working on? Give me an update of what you're working on. You don't need to actually meet in real time to deliver that type of information. But as I talked to this manager, she said, you know, I feel guilty that I'm working remote and I don't want my boss to think that I'm not doing anything all day long. So this is my opportunity to kind of showcase what I'm doing and tell them that, hey, I'm really working and not slacking off. Interesting, <clears throat> because, you know, I have long thought for years, decades, perhaps, that remote work will be the best thing that ever happened for performance management because it forces clarity up front. Uh, I think the part that we are missing, though, is that, you know, that manager's boss it maybe doesn't really know what the what that person is doing unless they have that that uh, update call, which means there isn't performance tracking results tracking unless there is and they're still trying to supplement. So, what's your read on that? 
years ago, one of the questions I would typically get from organizations that were trying to make the transition to, to more remote, and we called it telework back then, yeah. they would say, once my employees are teleworking, how do I know that they're actually working? And I would always respond with the question, how do you know they're working right now when they're in the office? And they would say, well, I can see when they come in. They come in at 8 a.m., they leave at 5 or 6 p.m. And I would say, okay, well, you're managing through attendance then. You can only tell when they're in the office. You don't really know what they're doing in those hours while they're there. And I think we still suffer from that across the board to some degree, that many managers really don't have good performance metrics in place and a way to measure performance uh, for their employees. In many cases, if they have done the job of their employees before becoming a manager, they may have a good feel for what needs to happen. But in many cases, managers take roles where they haven't specifically done the employee's job in the past. So they're really not sure and they haven't spent the time really investigating what it really takes to get the job done. Yeah, and and uh, I'd just be curious about so the manager that you were talking with, if she didn't have these update calls with her boss, would her boss have other ways of knowing uh, wh what she's doing, <clears throat> how well she's doing it, um, and to be able to look at, at a glance, uh, some something that uh, that indicated performance results? In most cases, I, I believe within Cactus, we do ha have those performance metrics. But again, this was her feeling, as she called it, it was feelings of guilt that she wanted to make herself more visible. So in this case, this is why I pushed back on her because her boss probably did have metrics and he wasn't asking to meet with For her, the meeting. but uh -huh. she was doing it herself because yeah. she was afraid of the perception of being remote. Yeah. You know, the flip side of that is something that I've been thinking about a lot and I think is a real challenge. And from the leader's perspective, how often, and I do hear this from, from even senior leaders, you know, how often should we be reaching out and connecting with people and how should we do it? And of course, you know, even though we've had this great immersion in all these new technologies, new for some people, uh, but certainly they've been using things like Zoom and Slack and even text chatting more often. Um, there's still a sense that they really miss the managing by wandering around, which of course is what you talked about at the beginning of this. Um, the, you know, it's just stopping by saying, hey, uh, you know, really appreciate your input on this or what do you think of this or how's this going? And, uh, you know, we haven't figured that part out yet. The, and I'm real big on encouraging leaders and teams to figure out how, creative ways to replicate and simulate what they would do if they were face-to-face. -face. But the, the, the benefits of the advantages of the power of live communication, real voice-to-voice, -voice, synchronous voice-to-voice, -voice, even if it doesn't have video, um, we're, I think we're just trying to, still trying to figure out how to make all that work. I would agree. And we're experimenting with different uh, tools within the company. There's virtual water cool applications that we're trying out. Uh, also like video messaging, um, using that as well, yeah. just to try to uh, not exactly replicate, but in a sense, just trying to connect with folks in a different format than just what they normally do, which is either meeting or email. Yeah. <clears throat> I, um, I've used a, a application called Loom, which is short four-minute videos. 
um, for quick updates, and uh, I find it very efficient. Um, I used it actually for personal reasons when my mother had surgery last year and I needed to, um, throughout the process, you know, update both of my brothers and uh, update my two of my cousins. And I thought, you know, I really, after being in the hospital all day uh, with my mother, don't have time to call four people. So I used that technology, did a short little video and said, okay, here's what's going on. Here's where we are. And just shot that out to everyone. So they heard it from me. Um, they got to see me uh, talk about what was going on. And um, so, uh, you know, so there was the voice, there was the visual without, and I didn't need to have them ask a lot of questions. There wasn't. Uh, so I think, you know, figuring out which technologies work without overwhelming people with so many choices, as you say, they just say, oh, to heck, the heck with it. You know, we'll just, um, we'll just send email, which... Right you know, is, is also, I think, very overwhelming. Plus there's so much more spam email that people are having to process. So, um, so, um, where do you see this? Um, and, and just to share with us a little bit more about, um, remote first and what does that mean? Because I think people are still learning about that. I right. mean, you and I've been playing around with this for a while, but let's uh, kind of wrap up with a, what is remote first and what is remote first not? Right. I think remote working in general is a spectrum, right? We're seeing on one end fully remote companies, companies that have no physical office place. Uh, everybody is working remotely, working from home, et cetera. Then we have companies like Google, Apple, et cetera, that are remote tolerant uh, to acquiesce to some employee demands and to prevent some further attrition. They're allowing their employees to work from home one or two days a week, for example, but they want people to live around the company headquarter area so that they can call them back into the office as needed. Remote first is somewhere in the middle. We have company office locations around the globe, but we don't require our employees or cactusins as we call them. We don't require our cactusins to live around the office. They can live anywhere they want to in their home country. And even if they want to work abroad, we try to make allowances uh, for that as well. But the office then becomes a resource, just like any other physical resource that you would have at your disposal. You use it when you want to or need to, but you're not compelled to use it on any regular basis. Hmm. So you're not really acquiring real estate to uh, on the assumption that everybody is there at any point in time. So are you hot desking? in some offices? Yes, we are hot desking. We have right at the beginning of the pandemic reduced some of our real estate footprint. In the future, who knows? Maybe we'll yeah. continue to reevaluate how much office space we really need based upon the footfall and additional analysis that we need to do. We're also leveraging co-working spaces in some countries as well. So we can be a little bit more flexible based upon the demand. Uh, you know, we'll create space when we need need it, um, yeah. you know, for a short or, term. Or rent space when you need to have a whole group together. Exactly. So, yeah, I like to just remind people, you know, remote first is just a mindset in many ways that you just, instead of assuming everybody is there and, you know, the old fashioned, you post notices on the bulletin board or back in the day, we'd put important notices on the back of the doors uh, in, the, in the bathroom stalls because that was the way to ensure that everybody saw them eventually. <laughs> and so, but you, the, the, it, you have to flip your thinking and realize 
first you have to think everybody's not here and how do we communicate uh, to ensure that everybody who's not here gets the message and those who are here are going to get that message in, the, in that same form eventually anyway. So uh, just, it's just to me, it's a, like a hologram. And um, yeah. well, you, you said it best, I think, when you said that remote first is a mindset. We want people to think like a remote worker, even if they decide to come into an office location. Yep. They need to think, you know, that not everybody is going to be physically present with them. Not everybody's in their same time zone. So they need to think asynchronously versus synchronously, et cetera. Yeah. So, okay. Well, Jason, as always, it's a delight to chat with you. And um, I appreciate your insights. And uh, I, I hope you'll join us again someday. Be glad to. Thank you very okay. much. All right. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Remote Leadership Podcast. If you found value in what you heard, share this with your colleagues. And if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. Additional free resources and direct ways to reach me are available at remoteleadershippodcast.com. Thanks for listening and for always learning.